Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2407. Today, buckle up because we're going to be moving fast. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. It's your name in Sealy, Texas. Well, you regular listeners will remember what's going on in Sealy with a very special guest by the name of Brian Jones. Brian, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Uh, yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we'll have some fun talking about fast cars and your history around some incredibly fast cars. And before we start, and I give you a little more of a proper introduction, I always ask this question. What's one little thing that people may not know about Brian Jones? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, there's probably more than more than one <laughs> little thing. My, my professional life tends to be dominated by automotive high-performance vehicle stuff. I'd say one thing that, uh, whether it's out of character or not, I actually like historic architecture, old Ooh. homes, for example. And uh, it's just something I've always found interesting, the history around it. And I typically don't share that much with too many, too many people unless I happen to be restoring a house or really into that. Well, that's very cool. My father was an architect, and so he exposed me to a lot of different things, both in the art world, in the architectural world. And I have to ask then, is there a style of home that you tend to gravitate towards? Well, it, it sort of depends on where, what part of the country you're in, because I guess if you were the architect answering that, you would be building a home to the landscape that you're around. And, right. But uh, I do tend to like the arts and crafts style of home, you know, that genre I, I like, and it's become popular. And, and actually what I would probably have never told very many people is, you know, I always wanted to be an engineer, so this is not really too applicable, but the only other kind of thing I ever thought about was to be an architect, but I don't, I've never felt that I'm creative in that way. You know, I'm kind of a, a bit more of a functional functionally driven person but yeah i enjoy looking at houses and try to understand the story behind them how they got that way well given this combination of your passion and your vocation you'll love this little story my wife studied i met her in college she was an engineering major she became a civil engineer and my father being an architect they always used to banter across the uh, thanksgiving and christmas dinner table and my wife would say you know you architects are the guys with the rubber rulers <laughs> I think being being an engineer, yeah, you get it. They would always have some fun that way. She goes, you would, you'll always design things that can't really be built, and we've got to figure out how to build them. So uh, I thought you'd enjoy that little uh, little story that uh, they would have together. Got to have a creativity, but it's got to work, just like in the world of of uh, exotic cars. So let me introduce you, and we're going to dive into that world. Brian Jones is the VP of Engineering at Hennessy Special Vehicles and Performance Engineering. He oversees all engineering and development, applying to his experience and expertise to advance powertrain development 
integration, testing, regulatory certification, and manufacturing of the Hennessy Venom F5 hypercar in the range of high-performance vehicles modified by Hennessy Performance. You'll remember that John Hennessy was a guest not too long ago on the show, so we got an insider's look at that incredible brand. Before joining Hennessy, Brian had over three decades of experience, served as Chief Engineer of Vehicle Development and Integration at Multimatic Specialty Vehicle Operations, where he led engineering on a range of road and race car programs, most notably the Mercedes AMG One, that's a quick one, and the Ford GT. Brian also has worked at Aerodyne Wind Tunnels at Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company and for General Motors. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little love. Buckle up, we're going to move fast today. We'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up. But my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around. I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Brian, we're back. So I want to go back in time a little bit first before we get into what you're doing there at Hennessy, because you're very new there. But boy, I think you uh, have hit the ground there in Texas running. But I want to go back in time. And what inspired you to get into the world that you're in instead of going into architecture? So can we go back in time a little bit of what started all this passion for you? Yeah, so I've been a car person, I would say, my whole life. My father worked for NASA. At the time, it was called NASA Lewis Research Center in the greater Cleveland area. And he was not an engineer. He was what they called an aerospace technician. And he was really into aircraft. That was his thing. And I was really into cars. And he kind of saw cars or enjoyed cars, trying to do things with myself. And then I certainly enjoyed aircraft and trying to do things with him. And when I guess, or as I was growing up, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of, not, I would say not a lot of time, not to overstate it, but a significant amount of time kind of visiting the NASA facility, which isn't so easy. It's not so easy to get in a place like that. I'll bet, yeah. And he had uh, always had a very good relationship with the engineering team members that 
he worked with. And I always kind of saw myself going in the engineering direction. And I really had the opportunity to uh, spend, a, you know, I guess kind of one-on-one time and sometimes social time with a lot of the engineers that he worked with. And even to the point where I thought at one point I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. And the only thing that nobody's ever really talked me into or out of many things as far as careers, I would say, but they certainly all kind of coached me to think harder about going the mechanical engineering route based on my interests and passions or what everybody saw that to be. So that's kind of the background. I mean, I guess I kind of came from a technical background and some really neat stuff, you know, and if you think about the era I grew up and the things NASA was doing at that time, there was always certainly a lot of a lot of things to talk about and think about. Well, how cool it must have been to have a dad in that arena. That's pretty cool. It sounds a bit like what my wife went through. She was in school and she had some math teachers that said, you're really good at math. You should go into engineering. And she went, really? You think so? And ended up going into mechanical engineering and getting a degree in that field. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, let's fast forward a little bit because boy, go into the automotive sector you did. But I have a feeling there was a sense of speed from that history of being around your dad and spacecraft and aircraft and all of that because you've worked for some incredible companies that create very fast vehicles. And I wonder if you'd walk us through a little bit of that history with uh, your cars. I mentioned in your intro, Mercedes AMG, now that's some fast words, Ford GT, um, Aerodyne, uh, Aerodyne wind tunnels for Goodyear Tire. So can you walk us through those maybe perhaps early days and how your career started to advance into some very fast cars? Yeah, and I guess part of the story also includes a, a, a passion for racing and race engineering. And that's kind of the direction or the path I thought I would ultimately choose full-time. I guess it was my desire to try to get involved in racing, which again, at the we're, we're talking late, very late 80s, early 90s, the role of the race engineer and the assistant engineer and the data engineers, I mean, it seems seems odd now and it, these kind of kind of discussions date yourself but you know data systems were just becoming more popular in racing and even in the automotive world our early data systems were expensive and very clunky and uh, not very easy to work with and as that era was kind of taking off and the influence of that on racing became more pronounced engineers started, you know, becoming more of a predominant role as opposed to that experienced crew chief. I mean, in those days, the crew chief used to set up the car or make changes to the car. And I was kind of just interested in how to get involved in racing. So I was a senior in college trying to decide. I actually thought I was going to go back and finish my master's degree. And uh, I had a um, summer student option through actually one of my, my dad's uh, colleagues. He worked for General Electric Aircraft Engines. And I had a, a, a summer student option at GE Aircraft Engines in Evendale. And somehow then through, I, well, it wasn't somehow, I went to, I was at SAE. I went to the first motorsports kind of conference that they had. So I think this was somewhere around 90 from, from memory. Oh, wow. And I went, went to this panel discussion and part of the panel discussion was about race engineering. And so I went up afterwards, like a student would, 
you know, asking one of the panelists, you know, a whole bunch more questions afterwards, you know, how do you do this? What's up one? How do you get involved? And, you know, most of the time people give you the best answers that they can because their path was probably, you know, not, not necessarily straightforward at that time. And somehow I got his number and called him up afterwards. And he said, hey, what are you doing this summer? And I said, well, I was going to be a summer student. And I said, at, at GE Aircraft Engines, but why do you ask? And he says, well, he says, I actually work at General Motors. And he says, how would you like to be a summer student here? And of course, wow. I just couldn't pass that opportunity up. So I re kind of uh, 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 thought my plans and and the long the, the long version of the story of how I got to General Motors because uh, at the end of that summer they offered me a full time job and I ended up staying. Well, it's a great story. Get up and ask questions. Talk to people, and and I think it's very true in the automotive world. People love it when you have an interest, and they're very willing to help. And so many times students are shy or whatever, and they won't get up and go talk to somebody. But look where it led you, which is very cool. So you've worked for some amazing companies doing some amazing things. But let's fast forward to Hennessy today, where you are today. Now, I know you've been there for a very short time. It's just a couple months. But when Michael Harley, who sent out a press release that you were joining, I said, hey, I want to talk to this guy because obviously what Hennessy is doing is quite spectacular and their new Venom F5 hypercar. So let me ask you this. What caused you to leave some pretty big companies you've worked with in the past and go join Hennessy. What was it that inspired you and intrigued you to be a part of this team? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, because I think the overall, you know, when I met this team here and kind of uh, experienced what I perceived to be the company culture and looked at the car, I mean, the pieces to the puzzle are all around us here to make absolutely spectacular cars from a high-performance vehicle standpoint. And I, I myself am just very comfortable trying to lead small teams and, and, and help a kind of a, already a, a company that's underwent a lot of growth the last couple of years. But again, as the growth curve continues, just to try to help accelerate that and build a team to support that, that kind of curve. And, you know, I think from the as I say, I use the word pieces to the puzzle. I think it's it's all around us. And so it's about trying to help put them together and work with the team and, and help grow and coach and, and, you know, learn from them as well. Because even though, you, you know, you're, you're trying to provide leadership, everybody learns from, from others. So for me, it was just an opportunity that was really too good to pass up, provided me an opportunity to spend more time in the U.S. and that's why I've I've joined here, and I'm very thankful that they that they wanted to have me. Well, they're very lucky to have you, from my understanding of talking with John and Michael about you joining the team. So you're with a great group of people. You already know that. When you look at the automotive world today, it is radically changing. And we talked about the the Venom F5 hypercar. We look at what's happening with electric vehicles that. It's just coming down so fast. And when you combine all that with computers and engineering and all of this, let me ask you about what your opinion is of the automotive sector today and in relation to how fast it's changing. I don't think in my lifetime I've ever seen so many things start to change so fast when it comes to just automobiles, much less very, very fast automobiles. Yeah, and of course the last project that I worked on, AMG1, is probably without any debate the most 
complex uh, vehicle that's ever been architected. So, uh, <laughs> and, and, and probably will be, be, be that way. It'll probably live with that halo forever. I think, you know, it's one of those things that it ended up being complicated for a variety of reasons and, and it wasn't all driven on purpose. I mean, I think in general technology changes. So I think part of the answer to your question is whether it's cars or, you know, other, um, modes of transportation technologies constantly changing and you know i mean just in my drive into work today with a colleague the discussion was around self-driving cars and yeah. where it is today and, and and where where that is all going so i guess the same requirements are there to build a car that somebody wants to buy to build a car that somebody is excited about to build a car that from an attribute standpoint that it achieves what all of its objectives are, whether it's a daily driver back and forth to work or that family vehicle or, you know, a, a high-performance supercar or hypercar. I mean, it's a better about executing properly and, and trying to, to meet the requirements. Technology itself, it causes us maybe to do things better because we have more access to simulation work. Or, but from an overall outcome in terms of the customer being able to get in and turn the key or, of course, most likely push the button to start to that feeling that they get driving the car. I think that that feeling needs to be the same. You have to deliver on that, whether it's a, a, a classic car that you do turn the key and you love the sound when it does fire up or when, where, where you do it in your modern car. I think that the experiences that people, the customer take away, they have to be the same experiences. Well, and for car people, and you've definitely worked in the field of specific types of cars versus your average go-to-work car, I guess I would I would call it, you know, your generic commuter car, you're in a, a completely different sector. Oh, but thank goodness there's still those of us who love that concept of cars. And I, I think, do you think there's always going to be that even as this generation of, let's say, self-driving cars comes into play? I've always thought there's a place for that, but for many of us, it's not doesn't seem very exciting. Yeah, I think the, the, the general statement, right, is you can't uh, fight technology. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a place for it, as you say, and, and it's that whole the place and time and, and the, the market kind of decide what the right place and time are, you know. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I would think, I mean, our customers certainly keep telling us that, you know, the internal combustion engine and that era of car is, is still something they're interested in experiencing and buying so i would think and and hope that it stays with us for quite some time yeah i do too when i talk with people like yourself i always like to ask about what are what i call driving inspirations people that are very influential in your life that help direct and drive you into the career path that you're in has there been somebody like that for you other than perhaps your dad because it seems like that was a huge influence early on yeah, I think that this is a tough question sometimes because I think the reality is, is when we're all honest, there's lots of people who've mm -hmm. helped us as, as individuals or, or, you know, touched us, you know, whether it was teachers or professors or certain family members. But I, I think the answer to your question really is, and going back to my, it ties in with my General Motors experience, and he wasn't my direct manager there, he was a couple of levels up, but the guy that actually I met at the SAE show that offered me the summer student job, his name was uh, Chuck Matthews or Charles Matthews, he was probably that key mentor to me early in my career, really trying to, to help 
you know, that path to race engineering, the path to working in racing was just very, very uh, much a gray. It worked or it happened different ways for different people. Because, you know, today when I look at racing, there's this kind of defined sort of job descriptions for a data engineer or an assistant engineer and then, a, and then the race engineer. And, you know, sometimes you pass through those paths and sometimes you, you go from assistant engineer to race engineer when a race engineering position opens up on the team. And certainly there's a lot of young students as they graduate from university or colleges that, you know, seek out the data engineering roles. And, and so I think the path is clear today. But back then, there, there certainly was no clear path. And, you know, he definitely provided a lot of guidance and, you know, the things that he did and that worked and, and equally important, the things that didn't work because he was very frank in sharing those with me. I think, you know, he was a, a really positive early influence. Yeah, fortunate to meet that man. Very much so. Now, challenges have got to be a major part of your career path. And a lot of people look at challenges or, or failures as defeated. But I would imagine in the world of engineering, from all the people I've talked to, challenge is just part of the game. It's, you're trying to create things that didn't exist before. Is there one particular situation that you encountered that was a huge challenge that taught you a really valuable lesson? Yeah, I think, and, and again, I think kind of on a, a failure standpoint, you know, I think that's the, that's whether it's engineering or any profession or anything in life, I think that dealing with failure and being able to learn from it and not be afraid to, to keep going is probably the biggest thing. I mean, I certainly, with I know with my sons personally, trying to see them as they're embarking on their careers and how they, they manage that. Um, for me, the probably the biggest professional embarrassment was in my early days of calling a race, which by the way, is actually something I really enjoy. I, I enjoy race strategy and I enjoy that aspect of it on race day. But I guess, first of all, it requires some amount of confidence that you have to kind of build up doing it because if you make a bad call, you're effectively making or letting the whole team down. And sometimes there's downsides to that in many ways, as we know. But uh, I was uh, in, the, in the midst of a race, and one of the things that I didn't know at the time was when a reporter comes up to you to ask you a question during a race, there's typically a contracted contractual <laughs> obligation for you, for you to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody came up to me on, a, on the pit box, and right in the midst of making a decision of when to pit and or not to pit as the pace car was coming around. And uh, I missed the call and uh, uh, circulated like, again. And uh, I think we ended up going to left down as a result of it and didn't give a proper answer, which got me in hot water because the reporter complained about that. So, oh, yes, it was a very it was a very painful experience. Learning. But but again, out of that, I guess, um, I actually gained a lot more confidence on decisiveness on making calls and, and working strategy kind of from, from
from that race forward. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've always looked at that and, and I get it. Racing, a big part of racing is, is for the fans and the excitement and getting to see the inside workings. But I've always looked at that as talking to somebody, especially a key person during a race about the race is akin to walking up to a surgeon in the middle of a surgery and saying, so what do you think about that vein right there? You just pulled out. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, excuse me, what are you doing here? I'm in the middle of something. So, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. It's like, um, come and talk to me after the race and we'll talk about what went well and what didn't. I want to ask you about a special vehicle in your life because being a car guy, you most likely have had one special vehicle. Now, in your case, if you'd like, this could be a car that you worked on as part of a project or it could be a car you owned. Yeah, I think for me, I, I, I would choose the, the, the former. I mean, personally, I've had a lot of vehicles and some of them I have I honestly liked a lot. And sometimes I approach them more just objectively without emotion so I, I have not, I really can't say I've had such a special vehicle. If, if that answer was a yes, I think I'd still own it. So, <laughs> uh, but for me, it's a car that I worked on. I mean, I, we look at our careers and we look at all the things we get to do, the opportunities. And for me, the Ford GT was that special opportunity. And I didn't know, honestly, I don't think anybody knew um, at the beginning of the project that that's what was going to happen and, and it was going to turn out like it did. And obviously you, you know, sometimes you, you can get a good vibe about something or you never know sometimes what something can turn into, but it was a, a, a project that I um, worked on from absolute very beginning when there was absolutely nothing. And in wow. terms of like, you know, a concept uh, to it, to all the way to the end, several months into production. And even after that, hoarding it for, you know, field, discussions, warranty discussions. It was kind of like I used to say my third son, you know, kind of thing. It seemed like a third child, you know. And um, yeah, so for me, that was a, a very special project. And I think one of the key things about it that I'll never forget is that I think so many other people probably would say the same thing. You know, they thought about it. It was, you know, that one special project where every single person is working on it, you know, they had a clear understanding of the objective of the project and everybody was on that same page and so many times that in itself is the biggest factor in in success or a success story is having everybody aligned and being on the same page with what you're trying to accomplish was that the first iteration of the 4gt or the most no it was it was the second one correct yeah of course it's out of production now but yeah the second one yes wow what a, a spectacular project it took a giant leap I mean, a huge leap. I have to ask, being part of that project from the beginning, was it pretty much just take the old one out of your mind, the first gen, and this is something completely different? Is it, Was that the initial beginning approach? Yeah. So that, that car, that single purpose mission that everybody was aligned to was to win Le Mans and to go back and with a competitive car for Ford to have a competitive car at the 50th anniversary of their, their win at Le Mans. And they did not have a platform in the company uh, that was capable of being modified in a homologation perspective to field a competitive uh, car. And so the Ford GT was created to be the platform for the race car, and it was built to be a race car. So the car, the design... Um, architecture, everything around that car from the frontal area, some of the fundamental uh, themes that led to the unique aerodynamic element, those were all to give the race 
side of the team uh, a platform to build a competitive car for law. Well, bravo to you and the team. There's a gentleman that lives up here in the Pacific Northwest, and we have a, a great event called Exotics at Ribbon Town Center, and he has one of those in all carbon. And we'll bring that to the event. And it's just, you look at it and just go, I, I guess in a way, you know, your passion for architecture and design and then compared or combined with your engineering background, that car to me, just, well, all cars, I guess you could argue this way, but that just brought all those elements together. Yes, but you have to, I, I guess I would just want to state is that the role, though, that I have in these programs is not that creative role i mean that's kind of what i was saying and i don't think i would have been a good architect you know i think that i've come to appreciate in all of these projects is that the studio team the creative bunch that they are they're the ones with the um, ability to create the initial design now in the case of the ford gt it was very unique because it was driven studio themes design themes engineering cfd work and it, there was a, a, a several loops to get back to make sure that the themes were chosen to again give them a platform to build a competitive race car you know i'm kind of always been that more behind the scenes guy of, like you were saying and with your discussion your dinner discussion with your wife and your father you know how to take something that is beautiful or deemed beautiful and how to turn it into a, a great car i'm that kind of background guy that's my role i understand uh, well bravo to everybody involved and that thing is just is killer <laughs> it's just so cool so i'm gonna crawl into your head a little bit here brian i'm a bit of a car psychologist if you are manifest or reincarnated pun intended as a vehicle given your background given your passions what would you be but more importantly why that's again kind of builds off to my previous answer i could be boring i mean i'm a, a <laughs> functional a functional engineer that's okay. Uh, that's and, okay and and that's kind of that kind of goes all the way back to my general motors days where you know one of the places we worked in that discussion that i i kind of gave you an earlier answer is what they called the systems engineering center and it was all about taking requirements and turning vehicle requirements and attributes into design elements that you could actually go design a suspension to or design a, a steering system to or design several of the major subsystems of a car to. So I was kind of always that background guy trying to make something work, you know, that sometimes you were alluding to this earlier with, with kind of the, the rubber ruler example, <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes those things don't work or they can't work. And Sometimes your success is to try to have the relationships with the, the creative team members to try to help find compromises. Obviously, their, their hope is that the engineering team will always be able to take something that you know they've dreamed up and turn it into something great. And a lot of times that is the case and, and is the outcome. But most of the time, what functional engineering means is, is trying to be the compromise, find the common ground and you know, trying to make sure that you make the right decisions and there's always tough choices and then you make the hard decisions as well. So I don't know. I worry that my answer might be I'd be the boring guy in the back of the room that nobody really wants to talk to. <laughs> yeah, the basic trick. Well, it's kind of the old form follows function or does function follow form? Maybe I could say I'd be the car that always 
starts and that would sound better. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that always always works and gets you there. Okay, I'll let you get yeah. away with that. I, I, I usually don't let people get away with things like that, but I, I understand. I'll, uh, I'll cut you some slack today. Uh, but I like that the best because car is kind of worthless if it doesn't start. That's for sure. How about great reading? Is there a great book you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, yeah, and uh, so uh, one of my new uh, co-workers here and I were talking one day. He asked me what era of engineering I, uh, you know, would have enjoyed uh, working into. You know, this was a history discussion, and I was telling him how I've always been enamored about the, the days of Lockheed and the skunk works and the things that, this goes back to aerospace again in the aircraft conversation. But I just the uh, complexity, not only of the things that they achieved in there, but the time frame that they were able to do it in and the small group of people. That, and I said, oh, yeah, I know there's a book that, that the guy wrote about that. And I said, it's been on my to-do list to read it. And he's like, yeah, I read that book. You got to read it, too. So he brought it into me like the next day at work. It's called The Skunk Works. It's it's written by Ben Rich. And so for me, I, I, that's, I think, uh, that answer to the question, you know? Yeah. No, I like it. It is pretty amazing when you learn about that period of time. And, you know, we take for granted sometimes what we have today as far as how to create things and what was in existence. And you go back to the first Apollo space programs and how they did what they did. I still don't see how they did it. <laughs> it was just astounding. Right? Yeah, I think I, I, I think there's a couple of, I guess, in a couple of bookend takeaways for me that I really find interesting. In general, in, in whether it's this you know industry in terms of automotive or transportation or aircraft or you know any anything we talk about self-driving cars for example, there's this whole concept of risk and risk assessment and functional safety and how you make try to make those decisions objectively and what that does to the you know the overall time frame of the project because you know how much you risk that you're willing to take on often determines uh, it's a key factor in your, in your um, development cycle. And it's interesting to me that the decisions that they made, you use the Apollo program as one example, but I mean, you look at the, you know, about the SR-71 Blackbird oh, and the short timing and the, and the time frame that they did that in, and then the exotic fuel that it runs and the, the big, huge team of people that is required as part of the ground crew to keep that thing operating and you know they made those decisions you know without the iso 26262 functional safety requirement i don't think anybody in any of those teams i'm just hypothetically speaking would have ever said that they were super risky people or they didn't care about safety or they didn't care about people but they had such a great um i think you know the the whether it's the engineering feel they had or the common sense they had or the combination of all of that with their life experiences to be able to make decisions to allow them to, to move fast and yet uh, achieve some some very impressive um, objectives. Oh, yeah. Well said. So let's go on the ultimate drive before I let you go today. This is a fun game I play. I'm going to provide you with any vehicle in the world. Don't worry about the cost. I'm footing the bill. You can take this vehicle for a drive anywhere in the world, and you can take anyone with you, even somebody from the past who's no longer with us, which opens up a wide range of unique individuals to enjoy this drive with. So what does that ultimate drive look like for an engineer like you? Yeah, I mean, this one for me, I guess, is this is the personal one. You know, you've got, I guess, a snapshot into my early relationship with my father. My father, one of the things, we kind of had two different relationships. One is working days when he was at NASA, 
and then his his post retirement days. And you know, he's he's this is your um, anything's possible magic wand discussion point here. So I'm going to go for the the, the wand is very magical because my father passed away about a year ago. And I'm going to, I'm going to say that one of the things, you know, he never understood the racing side. When I went off and did racing, he could never get his head around why I really wanted to do that, but he did like cars. He really did like that. And uh, maybe not as much as I ever have, but I would like to take him for a ride in the Ford GT. So that's my, that would be my wish list item. <laughs> Nicely done. I realized that he's never, never got to experience any of the cars that I worked on. Oh, so yeah. I, yeah, yeah. 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 So I thought that would be a cool a cool opportunity. No kidding. Yeah. Well, Brian, you've uh, spent a lot of time with me today, but I greatly appreciate that time uh, sharing a wonderful and um, really a part of what Cars Yeah is all about, inspiring automotive enthusiasts who figured out ways to wrap their passion into their lives. You are the quintessential form of that. As we part ways today, could you share maybe some words of inspiration or wisdom for people out there that are looking to have a career in a life like you had? Yeah, to, to keep at it, to not give up. I mean, that's not a trite thing either. I mean, sometimes it takes a while for people to find their path, and sometimes it's you know it takes a while of of uh, trying to find the right opportunity. And I think the two the two kind of corollaries, if the theory you know that you're saying is that you have to keep at it and 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 never give up. Is sometimes you never know, you, you know, you don't know ahead of time how how something is going to turn out, and so. I guess you got to be open-minded, and and sometimes the second part of that is you just got to be got to be willing to take some risk and and then just go for it. And and I don't mean that in a crazy way either, like for doing you know like skydiving or whatever their 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 big uh, thing is. I'm just saying that sometimes you never know the best opportunity, or you're presented with a number of them, and sometimes you just got to go with your gut and and give it every single thing that you can give it. Don't ever let up. Absolutely. Sound like a race car driver, but you've been around enough of them. So I think you understand. How can people learn more about you and what you guys are doing there at Hennessy Performance? Certainly, of course, the the website and uh, certainly as we continue to develop uh, and evolve the F5 and uh, work through some uh, ambitions we have uh, from a record setting uh, perspective, the balance of this year and, and next year, certainly there'll be announcements and i'm sure you'll see them on the on youtube videos and everything on the from the uh, hennessy marketing team and the production team absolutely i want to do a shout out thank you to your colleagues there michael harley uh, who's been a friend of mine for a long time and john visher who got us together today so thank you gentlemen for bringing brian to cars yeah Thank you, Brian, for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing a wonderful life you've had around the automotive world. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Yep. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Cheers. Bye. You bet. Cheers. Today's vehicles are essentially computers on wheels, and it takes more than a wrench and oil to keep them humming. That's why Cars Yeah! supports TechForce Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to driving tomorrow's workforce of skilled technicians forward. Techs keep our cars, trucks, airplanes, and fleets rolling. Yet there's a massive tech shortage because many young people don't know it's no longer a blue-collar job. Today, it's a new-collar career. It involves computers, technology. It's in high demand. You get paid really well. 
and you can live and work anywhere in the country. I know you're passionate about cars, trucks, and motorcycles, and you can help pass that passion on to the next generation of techs so our rides keep rolling down the road. Visit techforce.org today and learn how. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!